Mark chapter number 9 tonight, Mark chapter 9, and uh, turn there if you would quickly, Mark chapter number 9, I'm going to try to leave Brother McBride plenty of time, sometimes you feel like you're rushed, but uh, he told me to take my time, so I'll do that, but get right into it, Mark chapter 9, thank the Lord for the word of God, and um Sometimes you want to take time to preach something, and uh, you feel like maybe you don't have as much time. Um, like uh, the other night, uh, what is today? Wednesday? Monday? Monday night? I would have preached that message quick if Brother McBride would have been here preaching. But since he wasn't, I was able to preach. I preach 55 minutes, preacher. I never preach 55 minutes. But the Lord saw fit to have me preach that long the other night. And I know what some of you are thinking. I'm glad that there's another preacher so you'll get out of the way and you won't preach as long. Brother McBride, I make up for it. Hallelujah. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Thank God for preaching. It's what changed my life. Amen. And uh, I hope you'll listen to the word of God. And uh, we don't just pull things out of the Bible and say, well, let's see what we can preach here and get through with it. Our heart's desire is to see God's people helped and see the church of the living God go on and do great works for the Lord. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 9, in verse number 14, very familiar scripture. Other preachers have preached on this text, but uh, God put something on my heart, and so I just want to give it to you if I can. Mark chapter 9, verse number 14, the Bible said, When he came, his disciples, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. Watch what it says. And they could not. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, wallowing and foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes... It hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. If thou, but, but, watch what he says. But if thou canst do anything. Can you imagine talking to Jesus that way? But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us, on us and help us. Watch what Jesus answered and said. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway, The father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, that's an angry reaction, and rent him sore, that's violent emotion, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, Insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, 
Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for preaching. And God, I pray for a little while that, Lord, you'd speak to the hearts of your people, allow me to preach with your touch, and that, God, that you would arrest the hearts and minds of your people. Sometimes I feel like we're rushed. I feel like we go through the motions. This is next. This is next. This is next. Be done with it. Go home. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we'd hear you, that, God, you would, you would touch Brother McBride as he comes in a little while and preach him with your anointing. And Father, that you'd work in the hearts of your people. We need you, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a statement that I have heard, and it goes something like this. The year is 2017. We're living in the last days. There's a great falling away of our people. And we probably will never see a move of God again Because the world is so vile and so wicked. That is a statement that I refuse to agree with. I understand what the times are. I understand how wicked it is. I also understand that we live in a time where sin is at an all-time high. And I also understand that the majority of people in the church of the living God could care less about godly things and spirituality. But I also understand the power of God. I understand how powerful the word of the Lord is. And the Bible talks about how the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. I know that there's a God in heaven. I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I don't believe that there is anything too hard for the Lord. I don't believe anything's too hard for the Holy Ghost of God. I don't believe that it can get so wicked that we, the church, can do absolutely nothing anymore. And I say to you, friend, the reason I believe that is because there is nothing more greater than the Holy Ghost of God. People wonder why we don't see souls saved like we used to. We wonder why we don't see the altars filling up with repentant sinners. We wonder why we're not seeing revivals like they did in the past. And we wonder in our hearts and in our churches why the separated Bible-believing Baptist churches are struggling numerically across the nation. And we ought to ask the question, why are we not seeing the Pentecostal revivals where thousands are getting saved like they did in the past? May I say to you, dear friend, that the modern education, the equipment, the methods, the networking, and the efficiency is not getting the job done. When will we quit? I'm talking about us, amen, the church. When will we quit putting the blame on somebody else for why we don't see God move in our lives and churches anymore and start putting the blame on us? When are we going to start to look at us, dear friend, the Christian, the local New Testament Bible-believing Baptist church? In verse 18, if you look at it again down there, verse 18, the Bible said, And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. May I say to you, friend, they could not fix this kind of problem because in verse 29, they needed this kind of power. 
Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you read the beginning of the chapter, you'll find that this is where the Lord is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples are on the downside, if you would. They're on the bottom side of that mountain and they are trying to cast out these demons and they're trying to help this young man. They are trying to help his family. They are trying to do what's right. You would agree with me, no doubt. May I say to you, they are trying to do what they were sent forth to do. If you know in your Bible, in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter number six, we are in Mark nine. But back in Mark chapter number six, verse seven, the Bible said he called unto him the 12 and began to send them forth two by two. And the Bible said he gave them power over unclean spirits. So can I say to you, friend, back there just a few chapters ago, I don't know how long ago it was in their life, but God, the Lord Jesus Christ, gives them power, tells them what to do, commissions them to go out two by two and to do the work of God And now here we are in chapter 9, and all they do is fail. Kind of reminds us of us. The saved. We, God's people. We are the ones that God saved, amen? We are the ones that God sent out, amen? We are the ones that God called and said, I want to save you, I want to change you, I want to use you, I want you to go out and I want you to win others. I want you to bring them into the work of God, teach them the word of God and send them out. And can I say to you, friend, it sounds like us. No, we are no different than the disciples saved and sent out and have failed. The disciples are a perfect illustration of you and I. The demon boy is a perfect illustration of this world. Powerless Christians in a powerful, demonic world. The Bible said in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. May I say to your church that Satan is out to destroy. He don't want anybody to do anything for the God of heaven. He doesn't want any church to flourish. He doesn't want any preacher to preach righteousness and live right and do right. He doesn't want any family raising their children to serve the Lord God of heaven and keep them in the house of God. He will do everything he can in his power to destroy you and destroy your church and destroy your life. And I ask, how do we fight against the adversary? How do we fight against this wickedness? How do we fight against this kind of power? The Bible said in verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit. He told the disciples privately, he said, this kind can come, it cannot come without prayer and fasting. It's going to take a little more than just salvation and church attendance. Are you with me? Preacher, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I'm saved. Good. But if we're going to do anything for God, church, it's going to take more than that. May I say it again, our networking, our education, our efficiency, our methods, our equipment is not getting the job done. The only thing, and I mean the only thing that's going to work in this day that we're living in, I believe with all my heart, is this kind of power. This kind of power comes from a certain kind of praying. This kind of power comes from a certain kind of fasting. Let me give you a little illustration. When the first locomotives were brought about, the Indians came up from the basins to see this great monster. And they wondered what it was. And one of them said, it's supposed to go. 
So about 30 of them lassoed the buffers. They began to pull on it and they moved the great locomotive about six yards thinking that they'd done some great thing as they uh, ran around screaming and hollering like a bunch of crazies, amen. But the next day, the engineer came who got the steam up in the engine, hooked up to a couple of cattle trucks full of cattle. Then he let the steam into the cylinders. He began to move, the which began to move the pistons and then those big large wheels uh, 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 began to move that great locomotive motive and begin to turn, go round and round as the engine began to move down the tracks at about 10 miles an hour and the Indians stood there and watched in amazement. May I say to you, dear friend, that great locomotives are not made to move uh, by outside human power, but from deep power from within. And may I ask the church, that's you and I, may I ask the church of the living God, how are we going to do anything great in this untoward generation without that deep Power from within. How do we expect to ever do anything great for God without this kind of power? The Lord's power, friend. That kind. His kind. He told the disciples it ain't going to happen unless you have this kind. My generation and the generation after me is trying to do it without his power. And they are failing miserably. The sad thing about it is the generation before us has quit doing it the old time way and is following the new generation. And they are miserably failing also. The work of God is suffering. Our families and our churches are suffering. And this nation is suffering and going to hell because we don't have this kind of power. May I say to you, it must be his power, it must be his way, it must be his touch, and it must be his anointing, or we will do absolutely nothing for the God of heaven. I'll give you three quick points, Let me, and I'll move out of the way. Number one, how can we build a church in a godless world? The saddest scene in the Bible here that we are reading about is not the demon-possessed boy, but instead it is a powerless, the powerless disciples. They failed. They could not do it. A perfect picture of modern Christianity today. May I say to you, please don't misunderstand me. I love the church. I thank God for the church. I was saved in the church. Christ died for the church. Hallelujah to God for the church. But the church, friend, has failed to get the power of Christ on them and in the people, friend, and go out to a godless world that we might build his church. The church is a called out assembly. It is a group of born again believers. The church is you and I. You. We, the church, have got to have the touch of God on us. I don't understand why in the world the church has ever got this kind of idea in their heart. Brother McBride, they think, man, the preacher's got to have the power of God on them. they got to have the power of God on them. We just come to the house of God. And man, I hope the preacher's got the power. No, you need the power of God on you. You need the touch of God on you. Uh, you got to have God all over you. Mark Matthew 16, 18 said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Uh, now that's talking about the church. That's talking about you and I. And I say to you, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us uh, because we, the church, should be filled with this kind of power, this kind of anointing, this kind of touch. And when God's people are filled with this kind, nothing shall prevail against the church. May I say to you that this kind does not come from being popular. 
This kind of touch does not come from being politically correct. This kind does not come from watered down preaching. This kind does not come from a praise and worship style church service. This kind does not come from being carnal. I'll say it again. This kind does not come from being carnal. This kind does not come from dropping your standards and convictions. This kind does not come from being socially connected with the world in your church. This kind does not come when you quit fighting for righteousness and holiness. This kind does not come when you just get along with everybody else and don't ruffle the feathers. This kind does not come when you have become a lazy, loose, lustful in your lifestyle. This kind does not come when you are in it for your own self-centeredness and self-glorification. This kind of touch, this kind of anointing only comes from prayer and fasting. Let me ask you a question. Do you care enough about your church to get this kind? Do you care enough about your Sunday school class to get this kind? Do you care enough about your van route or your bus route to get this kind? Do you care enough about the work of God and the souls of men to get this kind of power? Do you care enough about your family to get this kind? Listen, I'll say it again. The methods aren't working, are they? Dropping the standards aren't working, are they? The, the, the pretty fancy pictures flashing on the screens isn't working either. The ecumenical praise and worship songs aren't working, are they? The social connection in the world. It ain't working, is it? May I say to you, the weak, soft, happy-go-lucky style of preaching is not working. And I say to you, friend, it never will work. The leaders in God's church today have given every excuse for why we have failed. And we have failed to admit the right reason. And the right reason is this, church. We are yet carnal and don't have this kind. People say, we can't do it, preacher. We can't do it. Them days are over. We lost that fight. No, 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 no. That's not true. The church quit fighting because we've lost this kind of power. It takes prayer and it takes fasting. And it's not going to be done with just fasting and it's not going to be done with just praying. But when you put praying, fasting together with holy living, it will produce this kind. The Bible said in Daniel 9, 3, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Joel 2, 12 said, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. James 5, verse 16, the Bible said, Confess your faults one. Uh, he said uh, one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Uh, he said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man uh, availeth much. Uh, so how do we build a church in a godless world? This kind. Uh, how are you going to build your Sunday school class uh, in a godless world? This kind. Uh, how are you going to build a bus ministry in a godless world? This kind. Uh, how are you going to do anything for the God of heaven? This kind. Uh, you ain't going to do it in your own power. You ain't going to do it through methods. Uh, you ain't going to do it through social. You ain't going to do it through the world but you gotta get God in everything I mentioned this twice already once in the first message once in the second one we're gonna hit it in the third one how are you gonna be a soul winner in a wicked world there's a lot of people today that think soul winning that's of the past we can't do it no more preacher let me give you something the word winning are you listening? The word winning in soul winning means you won something. If you're not winning, you're losing. And today, men are being born faster than we are leading them to Christ. No one would disagree with that for all you have to do is look around. 
The liquor crowd is getting more to drink the devil's slop than the church is getting the people to drink the water of life. There seems to be more pornographic sites and places than there are churches. Wickedness is bold and defiant everywhere you turn. They no longer sneak around in the dark and commit their ungodly deeds. May I say to you, for the devil's crowd declare that they have the right to do it in open public. The world is making drunkards and whoremongers out of our boys and harlots out of our girls. Our homes and our families are being destroyed through social media, nakedness, adultery, drugs, television, and wicked internet sites. And may I say to you, dear friend, to the church, that's you and I, which is the only hope for this world, the only answer for this world. May I say to the church, the light, which is you and I, is failing to shine brighter than the darkness that is in this world. The Bible said over there in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men uh, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now you think with me now, think with me. The gospel started in the east and it went to the west. And it seems that the farther you go east, the more wicked and darker it is. In the place where our lovely Lord was crucified and the great revivals that took place in that land with the apostles today stands the mosque of ungodliness with demonic prayers going off on loudspeakers throughout the day. The light went out. In London, where many great preachers preached the word of God and thousands were saved and great churches were built over there and missionaries sent around the world is now dead, dry, and wicked. The light went out. In America where our founding fathers came and God and the Bible was sold after, today they walk down those same streets naked and commit vile, ungodly deeds and care nothing about the God of heaven. Why? The light went out. How are we going to be a light and a soul winner in such a wicked world? The only answer, friend, is right here. Jesus gave us the answer, this kind. Uh, The disciples struggled against the demonic wickedness. uh, And Jesus taught them. He said, hey, the only way you're going to win them, the only way you're going to get this is because you got to have this kind of power. The first Christians were shining lights. And they went everywhere, winning thousands to Christ and starting churches and bringing the lost to Jesus. And there was a day, friend, there was a day, church, stay with me, that not long ago, our churches, and some of you remember that day, that our churches were on fire for the Lord. I mean, soul winning and building churches for the glory of God. And it wasn't nothing to see a church having four, five, six bus routes and people out bringing the lost to church, baptizing people every single Sunday. May I say to you, dear friend, what happened? The light went out. We sit in our nice, beautiful buildings. We got our padded pews. We got our air conditioned. We got the heat in the wintertime. And we bring out some big, nice, beautiful tent. And we come out here and we take care. We fight the elements for a little bit. And we think we've done something great for God. And we sit here in every service. We do the same thing week after week. And there's no touch on us. And there's no power on us. And the God of heaven's not working on us anymore. And I say, where's the fire of the Lord at in your heart? So winning and building churches for the glory of God. Where's it at? We're losing. Because we as Christians are failing. We're failing to get the gospel to a wicked world. 
I, read, I come across something. I read this. It says in 1850, it took five Christians a year to lead a soul to Christ. In 1900, it took 14 Christians a year to lead a soul to Christ. In 1920, it took 21 Christians a year to lead a soul to Christ. Around 1950, it took 33 Christians a year to win a soul to Christ. Now, here we are 67 plus years down the road and more apathy than ever. And it probably takes anywhere from 75 to 100 plus Christians more a year to win a soul to Christ. You say, I don't know if that's true. Okay, let's get 100 people, line them up, and say, how many of you won somebody last year? I said it the other night, I'll say it again. If there's 200 people in the church and 200 of you win one person to Christ this year, one person, the church, and bring them in, now the church runs 400. 400 won one person next year. That means the church will be running 800 by the end of the year. We're failing. If we continue down the same road that we're going down, which is a road of no power, the only thing that lies ahead for our families and this country is destruction. Listen to the word of God again. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That's talking about this kind, this kind of power, friend. And ye shall be witnesses. I say to you, friend, when we don't have this kind of power, you tell me if this ain't like many churches in America. When we don't have this kind of power, discouragement comes when there's no power. Despair comes when there's no power. Defeat comes when there's no power. Doubt comes when there's no power. Disbelief comes when there's no power. Delusion comes when there's no power. And death comes when there's no power. And may I say to you, our churches are dying everywhere because we don't have enough people in the house of God that have fall on their face before the God of heaven and say, God, I gotta have this kind or I'm gonna die. But most of us are worried about what we're gonna do when we leave here. Most of us are mad at some stupid little petty thing and we're letting it become between us and God. And our churches are dying. And our children are going to hell. The Bible said, go you therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. But we're not going to do it, church, without this kind of power. Now, I know, I know, I can feel the vibes already. I know that you say, Brother Jason, how come you can't get up there and encourage us? Because God didn't tell me to. When we have this kind of power, are you listening? There is no family member that's too hard. There is no coworker that's too hard. There is no neighbor that's too hard. There is no religious crowd that's too hard. And there is no nationality that's too hard to witness to and win to Christ when you have this kind. Many years ago in St. Louis, there was a Christian man com completing some business with a lawyer. And before leaving the office of the lawyer, the Christian turned to the lawyer and said this. He said, I have often wanted to ask you a question, but I, I've been a coward. And the lawyer was surprised. He said, I didn't think you was afraid of anything. The man then said, what is your question? The client replied, why aren't you a Christian? The lawyer hung his head. He said, you know my weakness. He said, isn't there something in the Bible about drunkards having no part in the kingdom of God? Not to be detoured, the Christian man said this, that's not what I'm asking you. 
He said, I want to know why you are not a Christian. The lawyer said, well, I can't recall that anybody ever asked me. And I'm sure that nobody's ever told me how to become a Christian. Not long after that, the two were there together. The man opened the Bible, showed him the scriptures, and very shortly they were praying together and God moved into the lawyer's life. He saved him and immediately God broke the power of liquor in that man's life. And the lawyer's name was Cyrus L. Schofield who later edited the famous Schofield Reference Bible. Lord, how come we can't build a church? How come we can't win souls? How come we can't overcome the devil? How come we can't defeat the principalities in darkness? His answer today would be the same. He would say, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. How do we build a church in a godless world? How do we be a soul winner in a wicked world? And how can we be a light to such a godless, wicked, vile world? People think today, there's no hope, preacher. The world's too far gone. No sense in even trying. I think I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do and ain't going to worry about nobody else. Say Corinthians 3, 2, the Bible said, Ye are epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. In the eyes of those that surrounded the disciples in our story, as they were trying to cast the demon out of the boy, would you agree with me that the disciples did not look very good nor was their light shining very bright at that moment. In Mark chapter number 9, verses 14 to 18, my, how the disciples must have felt. Think about the disciples if you would. They have failed. They are being questioned by the scribes. They are probably being humiliated. They were defeated. They were like little puppies. They were helpless in such a godless, wicked, vile world. And may I say to you today, dear friend, we live in a world where the world mocks Christianity. They think that most Christians are phony and are weak-minded people that use Christianity as a crutch. The reason, the reason being is because there are many, friend, today that are phony and are not true Christians based on the way that they live their life, especially in front of the lost world. There has been much ungodliness that has come to the surface from those that would be considered Christians, and the world knows about it thanks to social media Therefore, most of the world has rarely seen a true Christian with this kind of touch. The Bible said in Philippians 2.15 that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God. Listen, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Allow me to ask some very pointed questions but obvious questions. Are you listening, Christian? Are you listening? How can we be a light to a wicked world if there's no difference between us and them? 
How can we be a light if we are familiar with the same vile movies that they are familiar with? How can we be a light if we are familiar with the same wicked music that they are familiar with? How can we be a light if we dress the same sinful sexual dress styles that they dress in? I'll go a little farther. Dear sir, how do they see a light in you if you look just like the world? If you talk like them, how do you think that they're going to see God in you? You run around with your little wife Peter shirt on, which is nothing more than a tank top shirt, and you want to try to show off part of your body, and you're prideful, and you're sensual, and you're full of the devil. You expect them to want the God that you have. Oh, you don't like that, do you? Dear ma'am, can I ask you, how do you expect them to see God in you if you're running around in a miniskirt? Don't get nervous on me. How you expect them to see God in that? God ain't nowhere near that. How are you going to think God? They're going to see God in you if you're running around in blue jeans. Looks like they've been painted on you. Or you got some kind of tight mess on showing your body. They're not seeing God. How, how can you be a light? How can you be a light if you dress and look just like they do? How can we be a light if we speak and act the same way the world speaks and acts? How can we be a light if they cannot see a difference in us? Do we, the church, even care if they see God in us? See, some of you are so hung up on what I just said about dress that you can't even listen no more. You're a rebel. You're a rebel. And you're full of hell. Say, I don't like that, preacher. It's the truth. If you were saved and full of the Holy Ghost, you wouldn't have a problem with it. You're supposed to smile when you're being mean, preacher, right? I'm not trying to be mean. But the Bible said in 1 Peter 2, 9, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, the world should be able to tell a difference between us and them. We should be filled with the Holy Ghost of God. They ought to be able to look at us and say, man, that right there is a Christian. Sad. God knows I'm not trying to be rude or hard or mean. But most people in the church today, when they leave the house of God, they can't even hardly tell that they're a Christian. How are we going to have this kind? Well, we know prayer and fasting is going to get it. But when you pray and fast, you know what's going to happen? Number one, you're going to die to your flesh. The Bible said, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, that means kill, destroy, the deeds of the body, ye shall live. 
God said in Colossians 3, 5, he said, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now listen, the flesh desires vile ungodliness, and it wants nothing to do with righteousness. So how do you get this kind? You die to your flesh. Your flesh wants recognition. Your flesh wants people to look at it. Your flesh wants to be accepted. Your flesh don't want anything to do with God. Not only do you die to this flesh, but can I say to you, number two, you awake to righteousness. Many are sleeping and just going through the motions controlled by their flesh. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The Bible said in Ephesians 5, 14 through 17, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. So God is saying to the church today, wake up to righteousness. There was a father that took his child out into a field one day and he laid down under a shade tree. The little child ran around gathering the wild flowers, coming to his father saying, pretty, pretty. But after a while, daddy fell asleep. While he was sleeping, the child wandered off. When dad woke up, he immediately began to cry out for his child, but no answer. He ran to the top of a hill and cried out, but no answer. He ran a little farther and cried out again, but no answer. No response from his child. Then running to the side of a cliff at some distance away, he looked over the side, and there at the bottom amongst the rocks was his little child. He rushed to that spot where his loved one was. He picked up the lifeless body of his child and he cried out and he said, it is my fault. I am the murderer of my own child because I was sleeping. And today, how many preachers and Christians and men and women and fathers and mothers are sleeping and they're consumed with their own selfish desires? I see young people today, and I'm not their enemy. I love young people. God knows my heart. But I see young people today, and I think, what in the world is their parents thinking? How can they not recognize that? How would they, why would they let their daughter or their son do that? I don't understand. What are they thinking? They're not, they're sleeping. And the church is sleeping. And God said, awake to righteousness. This kind of touch is more important than the opposite sex. Young people. It's more important than the fun and activities of the world. It's more important than the sports in the world, daddy. It's more important than the video games of the world. It's more important than the social media of the world. It's more important than anything that our flesh so desires. Let me say, we will never be a light to a world desiring what the world desires. We will never be a light to a world living how the world lives. We will never be a light to a world doing the same things that they do. We must desire him. We must have faith in him. We must have this kind 
The story is told of Gordon Maxwell. He's a missionary to India. When he asked a Hindu scholar to teach him the language, the Hindu replied, No, Sahib, I will not teach you my language. You will make me a Christian. Gordon Maxwell replied, You misunderstood me. I am simply asking you to teach me your language. Again, the Hindu responded, No, Sahib, I will not teach you. No man can live with you and not become a Christian. That's the kind of testimony that I'm talking about. If people lived with you, would they be a Christian? How do we build a church? This kind. How do we win souls? This kind. How do we be a light to a wicked world? This kind. The question is this. Do we, the church, even desire this kind? We have preachers that have given up. Sunday school teachers that have given up. Bus workers have given up. Mamas and daddies have given up. We're going through the motions and we're being good little Christians and we're coming to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and we think we've done God a favor and we leave the church every service with no touch. And we wake up on Monday morning and we go to work with no touch. And on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, no touch. And your neighbors don't even see God on us, on you. Nobody sees God on us hardly ever. We go to the restaurants and we don't even look like Christians. We don't hardly ever hand out a track, tell anybody about Jesus. People at work don't even know that many people here are Christians. Because we don't have this kind. When are we going to get tired of deadness? When are we going to get tired of going through the motions, church, with no power? You'd think that the old-fashioned altar would be full of God's people begging God for the touch of God. Father in heaven, we love you. Lord, it seems like it's almost a shock to God's people. Our people are so consumed, Heavenly Father, with the world and social media and games and fun. And I see churches everywhere, Father, giving up. Mamas and daddies saying, what's the use? Preachers saying, I'm tired. God help us. If we could only get you again. If we could only get your touch again. If God would fall on us one more time. If God's people would throw the world out. Young couples, dear God, would beg out God for his mercy and his power and his touch on their family and on their life. 
God help us. God help us. Father, I pray you do the work that only you can do. Lord, I'm not trying to be mean. God knows my heart. But the seriousness of it demands boldness. And I pray for the Holy Ghost of God to do a work tonight in the hearts of your people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Grace, come and just play something. Some have already come. And if God should prick your heart, would you come? We need this type of preaching. We don't hear much of it anymore. It's important. You know, about 15 years ago, there used to be well over 12 tent meetings in the area. Ten years, five years. Out of those 12 communities, I'm talking about Redford, Westland, Taylor, Ann Arbor, Detroit, Toledo.